Hello, chefs. You're listening to Chef's PSA Podcast. I'm your host, Andre Natera. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the elephant in the room, which is local food. So stay tuned. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. So before we get going, I'll, I'll give you a quick update. I'm writing currently The Kitchen Art of War. And I have to tell you, I, it's not often that I, I like my own writing, right? I'm, I'm, I'm hypercritical. I go back and I reread things that I've written and I look and I was like, I don't, I don't know if I like that. I don't know if this makes sense. But this is possibly my masterpiece. It's, it's the best thing I've ever written. Now, I say that but I can't take full credit for it because what I'm doing is I'm basically translating Sun Tzu's Art of War and taking it from the perspective of a chef. And I'm using the examples in the Art of War and saying, okay, how would how would this apply to a culinary situation in the kitchen, a chef or a cook or whatever the case may be? And as I write it, and I'll send it to a couple of chef friends of mine and say, hey, what do you think about this? And everyone's like, oh, it's so good. It is a different style, so when you all get it, assuming that you're going to get it, when you get it, you're going to look at it and be like, okay, this isn't like the other stuff. This is not, you know, line cook survival manual or culinary leadership fundamentals. It has a very unique style. It's written in the style of Eastern philosophy. It is just like the art of war. And what I'm doing is I'm translating line by line. So the style of writing is going to be very different from the way that I've written before and some, sometimes it's difficult to translate it. Like one of the chapters I just wrote was on spies and it's hard to translate art of war spies into kitchen spies. And some of it's like a little bit rough and I'm like, ah, oh, this sounds kind of sneaky, uh, but fuck it. I'm going to translate it anyway. So anyway, I'm translating the book. I'm having a lot of fun with it. Um, I'm hoping to wrap it up by the end of the week, you know, knock on wood, it will be done by the end of the week. And then I'll hopefully have it out within a, you know, do a couple of edits and then have it out within uh, no later than two weeks. I'm also working on the audio book for the Kitchen Art of War, and uh, but most likely that won't be released at the same time because the audio book does take a little bit longer to produce. And then the Line Cook Survival Manual audio book is also on its way. But here's something that I did this week. I was a panel speaker at the uh, Indie Lodging Conference that took place here in Austin. It's basically for independent hotels, owners, asset managers, marketers, etc., people that run in the world of independent hotel chains. And I was on the panel as the F&B expert. So anyway, I got to talk about a lot of things. And towards the end, they asked a really good question, which is really the inspiration for this podcast. 
And the question, I got to say, the question like kind of, it, I don't want to say it rubbed me the wrong way, but I felt like it was an attack on my people and my people being people that work in kitchens, chefs, cooks, etc. And the question was, and I'm paraphrasing, this wasn't the exact question. It was from the audience. It was, how can we get our chefs? And this is, uh, you know, coming from the perspective of a manager, hotel owner. How can we get our chefs to make sure that they're serving more local and sustainable food? And I thought about that question and I thought, well, you're not going to like my answer, but hopefully whatever I say, you know, will make sense. And hopefully it'll get me invited back because I might've pissed a lot of people off from the ownership standpoint. So anyway, without further ado, let's talk about the elephant in the room, which is the local food, local food scene and the quality of it and the seasons and this, that, and the other, and why uh, sometimes it's a problem and how we could potentially fix it figure out a better way to navigate this this elephant in the room because I think there's a lot of things that people need to talk about that are not being discussed. Now, the first thing I should say is that I am a big believer in supporting local farmers, local artisans, your local community. I'm a big believer in that. And a lot of the work that I do outside of Chef's PSA does help you know, local restaurants, local chefs, local farmers, et cetera. And I'm, I'm heavily involved with some charities and things like that. So this is something that's an important subject to me, um, and I'm passionate about it because I, I don't think that we're, as an industry, fully transparent with it. And what I mean by that is I've gone to restaurants before where they will say, you know, it's all local, it's all sustainable, it's all forged. And I know restaurants, certain restaurants have gotten in trouble for saying that everything's local and it's, you know, procured within a, you know, 80 mile radius or whatever from the restaurant. And, and it turns out it's not true. And I've gone to restaurants and been like, the, you know, these are the tomatoes. They just got picked from this and this farm. And I'm like, eh, that's that. I know that's not true because I know that farm doesn't have tomatoes right now. Or I'll look at it and be like, those tomatoes came from Fresh Point. And I'm not picking on Fresh Point, but those tomatoes came from Fresh Point because I got the exact same tomatoes, you know, from, from my operation, whatever the case may be. And so I think it's a problem when chefs aren't fully transparent when they say this is local and this is local and this is local and it's not. Like, I think that's... I think that's a bigger problem than people realize. And I think if you're doing that uh, from a marketing standpoint, look, I get it. You know, we're all fighting for customers. We all need to make a buck. But it's, you know, it's, it's not the right thing to do, quite honestly. It's not the right thing to do to say you're doing this when you're actually not. Well, I, honestly, I think it's actually illegal to say that you're serving something when you're not. I'm, I'm not certain all across the world or in every state. But I know in a lot of places you can't. There's something called truth in menu. You have to you have to be selling what you're advertising. So number one, I think there's a big problem out there with a lot of restaurants saying that they're serving local and it turns out that they're not. So that's problem number one. Problem number two is I also think that there's a problem with the customer comes in and they say they want to support local. They want the food to be seasonal, sustainable, um, you know, all these, all these words that a lot of times they don't even know what they're talking about, but then they go and order something that's none of that. Right. So, you know, they want to say they're doing this so they could they could feel better and they could, you know, they could do their their public good deed of the day. But really, it's it's meaningless and they don't even know what they're talking about. So I, I also think that's I also think that's part of the problem. But anyway, the other thing is really like it's the conversation needs to happen between ownership and the chef, because I think there needs to be honest dialogue and transparency with what needs to happen if you want to serve local, um, sustainable ethical food. And that is number one, a lot of times it is more expensive. So 
owners and restaurateurs are saying, hey, we want to serve local, we want to do this, that, and the other, but you need to hit this certain food cost percentage and don't raise the prices. It's like, well, you can't have both. So a conversation needs to be had. Like, hey, if we are going to serve local produce and local meat and local this, that, and the other, and it's going to all be organic and this, that, and the other, there is a cost associated with that. So you have to be okay with that because don't come screaming at me and threatening my job and uh, you know, threatening to fire me or whatever, because I've raised food costs by X amount of percent. If that is what you want, then there is a trade-off, right? You get better quality and you're supporting your local community, but sometimes, not all the time, but a lot of times there is a cost associated with it. So I think that's conversation number one. Conversation number two is that a lot of people don't understand that when you're cooking locally and you're only serving local food, that you may be affected much more by the seasons. If you don't grow your own food, I, I think people, especially Americans, right? Sometimes you you don't sometimes you don't have a full understanding of what it's like, you know, in the summer. How good are the tomatoes? How long does tomato season last, right? And depending on where you are, like in Texas, for example, um, you know, we have season for tomatoes sometimes is late summer. So if you're gonna say we're only serving seasonal tomatoes that are local, well, you might only be serving them for a month, right? You may only be serving them in August, period. And so, again, that conversation needs to be had. Like, okay, well, I need a lot of flexibility with my menu to change things when things are ripe, when things are good, or you might be serving something that's out of season from, you know, not within your 100 or 80 mile radius or whatever it is that you're saying you're doing. So I think that has to be a part of the conversation. And I'm not saying it's impossible because there's a lot of restaurants out there that do a really good job with this, but there's a lot of restaurants out there that say, oh, we only serve local tomatoes and it's in the middle of winter and you have tomatoes. It's like, what local farm is serving these tomatoes, is giving you these tomatoes? We just had a big winter storm here in Texas and, um, you know, I, I had some plants in my garden and, and they all they all died, ironically, except for the thyme. The thyme is still alive in the sage. Everything else died. But... If I had something growing and you have this winter storm, like, okay, well, you don't have a lot of options. So if you're going to really cook seasonally, then you have to start thinking about, okay, how are you going to preserve things? Are you only going to serve canned tomatoes when tomatoes are out of season? Or are you going to, you know, what's your pickling program? What's your fermentation and larder program look like? A lot of these things have to be considered. Are you that, are you even that type of restaurant or are you just, um, you know, the case of the the speaking that I was just doing um, at this conference, are you a hotel manager who just likes the idea of saying I'm serving local food, but when you go into the restaurant, you know, the owner or, or whatever the case may be, and you say, hey, I want my sandwich, but why is there no tomatoes on it? And then they say, oh, it's, but well, tomatoes are out of season. I'm like, well, I want tomatoes, right? So again, big conversation needs to be had there between the chef and ownership of like, okay, you want to there's going to be additional cost and there's also going to be much more flexibility on the menu because there's going to be times during the year when I can't get the things that you want. I'll try to get as much as I can local, but there's going to be times, well, Hey, you know what? Guess what? There's going to be no tomatoes on the sandwich this week, or, you know, there's going to be no tomatoes on the sandwich for the next 10 months. How about that? Right. Are you okay with that? So that's another part of the conversation that needs to take place. And the third thing that needs to take place in this conversation, and you know, this, this actually might, uh, get me a little bit of trouble, but it's true, is that local produce isn't always better and it's not always consistent. And if you're a chef, you want delicious tomatoes. And I'm just 
using tomatoes as the example, and you want beautiful arugula, but then your farmer comes in and is like, oh, you know, the arugula is not great this week, uh, but here you go. And it's like, well, then your customers are complaining and then it's affecting your business. And you can make the argument, well, if you want to support sustainable and local, well, then you have to do it all the way. But let's be honest. A lot of people, a lot more people say they want that than people that actually do it. So again, it, it's a little bit of a problem. The tomatoes might not be as good and you might be serving tomatoes that, that are local, right? Your local tomatoes, but they're not as good as the tomatoes that were coming from California or the avocados that are coming from California, whatever the case may be. So again, these conversations need to be had. So what I had said to, um, you know, the people in the audience was like, if you truly want to serve local food that is organic and sustainable and supports the community, then let's have the conversation. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You need to be aware that you may be incurring a higher food cost, number one. Number two, you need to be aware that there's going to be times when we're not going to be able to serve many things because we're only serving local. Correct? And number three, there are going to be times when the quality may not be as good as the commercial product that's coming from you know South America or wherever the case may be. So those are the things that you have to consider. And if you're a chef, and this is this is you know kind of where there's some opportunities, you could serve local things. Maybe it's a local olive oil, or it's uh, you know the local cheese, or the local cream, or the local beef, or the things like that. So you could start having more of these local things on your menu, but. I'd venture to say that a lot of these restaurants that say they're they're serving you know local, uh, it's probably like twenty to thirty percent of what their menu is, and the rest is you know coming off the big truck. Realistically, realistically, now I'm not saying that's all restaurants because there's a lot of restaurants out there that you know have the farm and have the relationships, but that's that's the truth. And a lot of these smaller farms can't keep up with the demand if every restaurant is serving local. Um, the reality is a lot of the small farmers will come and say, I, I just can't keep up with that much. Um, supply and demand. So a lot of small farms work with, you know, uh, top end chefs um, that, you know, usually have smaller restaurants or they'll only say, you know, I only work with these, these restaurants or a lot of farms just say, I only grow for these restaurants. There's a restaurant here in Austin um, where I'm at that started their own farm so they could just grow what they want. And they're looking at like heirloom seeds and things like that. So anyway, I think that's pretty cool. If you have that opportunity, it makes a huge difference. One of the chef jobs that I had, we used to have a garden where we would grow um, a lot of our, a lot of things, right? We'd grow cruciferous vegetables and berries and things like that and watermelon. And uh, we had a fig tree. Anyway, what I figured out, you know, when I started doing that, I, I posted a chef's PSA the other day, if you really want to understand food better to plant a garden, because when you start to plant things, you realize like, oh, 
got it. Watermelon is a summer fruit, but where we are, it's a summer fruit. It's more of an Indian summer fruit. So late September, right? And you only have watermelon for like one month and you better eat it because then it's no good. Or you'll notice like some of these cruciferous vegetables like, um, you know, kohlrabi or cauliflower or something like that. Like the colder it gets, sometimes the better they get right? Cabbages and, and whatnot. But in Texas, we have these hot spikes. So it could be super cold one day and then super hot the next day. And that kills those cruciferous vegetables. So if you really want to understand food, plant a garden so you could understand what these seasons look like. And when you tend to them, you'll have a much greater appreciation uh, for what you're doing. Now, I know that was a little bit of a rant on ma making sure we're discussing you know, the elephant in the room when it comes to local produce. But, I'm, but what I will say is that when you are working with some of these local artisans, what you'll notice also is that their quality is significantly better, right? Significantly better than some of the other, um, you know, the, the, the mass commodity stuff. So the milk might be better. The eggs might be better. Sometimes it is more expensive, but they are better, right? The cheese might be better. So Whenever I had the opportunity to work with local products, I would, right? Maybe it's grains, whatever the case may be. So I would highly encourage you, if you could do it, do it. But to, to sit here and say that you have a 100% local restaurant, uh, but make sure the costs are in line and make sure I always have tomatoes and make sure the tomatoes are always perfect. You got to sit those owners down. You got to sit down those hotel managers and those country club managers and those operators and say, hey, that's it, it does not work that way. Because the worst thing you could do is just sit there and say, oh, yep, we're doing it, we're doing it, we're doing it, and then we're not. And uh, again, what I picked up in this conference is that these people, they just don't know, right? Everyone likes to throw around the buzzwords, but they might not fully understand what it is that they're talking about. So I think it's important as, you know, in your restaurant, you're the chef, you should be the educator of the other people that are around you. Anyway, moral of the story today, have tough conversations with the ownership team that you work with. Plant a garden, understand what seasons are, understand how these seasons affect what you do, and start building relationship with the local farms and artisans and purveyors in your area so you can start to see um, the product that they have. And, and, and honestly, like I said, it's, it's a nice, beautiful, reciprocal nature. You know, you work with them, they give you sometimes the better stuff, they save stuff off to the side. It's like, oh, I grew this just for you. Um, go to the farms. I'll tell you, there's... A moment in time when I, I used to live in California and I moved from Texas to California and then I moved back to Texas then I moved to California again and I was a chef in California for a bit and I remember like my learning curve of going from Texas to California was exponential as a chef and the reason was is because of the quality of produce I was like blown away with how good the produce was in you know um, the Napa uh, San Francisco area compared to what we had in Dallas, Texas at the time. And then I moved back and then I went again and I was in Southern California and, you know, sometimes they rate produce like the, a number one and a number two. So a number one would be really good and a number two is mediocre. Um, and I remember when I was in California and we got the number twos and I was with one of my, one of my chefs and they're like, oh, these are, these are crap. And I was looking at them. They were, they were like yellow squash. And I was looking at them. I was like, these are the most beautiful yellow squash I've ever seen in my life. And he's like, oh no, these are crap. These are number twos. I'm like, holy shit. What are the number ones? Like, like the number twos in California was like the, you know, the A plus plus in, in, uh, in Texas. So, you know, if you, if you're fortunate to live in these areas where you have beautiful produce and and you know abundant local resources take advantage but the fact of the matter is a lot of places don't have access to uh great produce like that locally or great farms and etc etc especially when you're in a more of an urban city so get connected to food chefs it's going to be a game changer 
I remember I was in, um, one last story. I was in the farmer's market uh, in San Francisco and I was with a group of chefs and someone had a, a grape and they were selling grapes. And they're like, here, try this grape. And I'm like, eh, I'm all right. I've, I've had a grape before. I, I don't need to try another grape. And my friend tried it. And he's like, holy shit, you need to try this grape. I was like, I'm okay. I've had grapes before. He's like, no, seriously, try this grape. And, you know, just to placate him, I was like, okay, sure. So I tried the grape. And I was like, oh, my God. It was honestly the best grape I've ever had. It tasted like grape bubble gum. <laughs> it tastes like grape bubble gum in a grape. And I was like, holy shit, how do you grow grapes that good? Um, and I had a new appreciation for some of the produce, um, that is grown in California by some of the small farms and artisans. And, you know, you just go and you get a sandwich that's just like arugula, tomato, olive oil, and a fried egg and it's, and bread. And it's like the best egg, the best bread, the best tomato, the best olive oil. And you notice that those simple things, you know, when your ingredients are so good, and if you have access to really good ingredients, you become a better chef just by using those ingredients, Right. The ingredients don't need you as much as you need them, right? A really good chef and a really a mediocre chef, and you tell them, okay, just make like a, a tomato sandwich with eggs. It's like, okay, you give one like, you know, access to to generic produce and you give the other one access to the farm. Sometimes it doesn't matter who's the better chef because the person that has access to the better ingredients instantly becomes the better chef. So anyway, food for thought. Well, that was a rant. If you all want to support the show, go to chefspsa.com. You can find everything that I'm doing there. The books, Culinary Leadership Fundamentals, How Not to Be the Biggest Idiot in the Kitchen, Line Cook Survival Manual, and then there's a free ebook there, the 100 Recipes digital book that you could get. I also have the Culinary Leadership Fundamentals video course. You could buy that or you could rent it. There's merch. And I will have the Kitchen Art of War out soon. Subscribe. Make sure you leave five stars on whatever platform you're listening. We appreciate it. Thank you all very much. See you next week. Hit the porno music.